Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Watch where you're going. Traffic pace. To the gun! No. Very bad. Yeah, she didn't plan this very well. You two fly back. I have a weapon to find. I love the pace and the fastness, and I love the fact that you just roll with it. It just comes out of you. Hey, guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer-director of the film Hall Bowl Suites. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm Jay Garamalu, the writer-director of Deviation. Hi, this is Ben Lloyd Holmes from the film The Expedition. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hey, Stewart, page the screen. Dot-com up in my bunk, please. I'm Neil Johnson, I directed Road Warrior and The Time War, and I crucified Adolf Hitler. The from page to screen. Now, with you being in Essex, you must be seeing lots of different hooligan cocaine movies being filmed around that, so all they seem to have. I do love them, but there's a little bit too many of them. So. I'm seeing a lot of hooligans in Essex. Yeah, well, yeah, it could be. Maybe that's how they make so many hooligan movies, you just point the camera at a window and capture them. It's reality television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was all set to do a nice little podcast episode featuring Steven Spielberg titles, um, but then the Harvey Weinstein thing kind of broke which has been interesting, um, media-wise, anyway. Um, I'm very is it cautious, is the word cautious? Concern? Oh, it begins with a C, you can't remember what the word is. Um, I'm very, uh, you work in this industry, so I'm very wary, or oh, not wary, I can't think of the word. Do you know when you, there's one word you're looking for and I can't think of it, it's that. Um, I appreciate the fact that you work in the industry, but what do you think of the whole media coverage of this whole Harvey Weinstein craziness <laughs> i think it's hilarious um i mean firstly obviously uh i mean I, i've never met the guy so i have no judgment or criticism on the whole situation because you know i'm not involved with it whatsoever but everyone kind of knew he was a yeah. sleazy guy you know and it's, it was a known fact even to people like me yeah i'm, I'm so, me I don't even work yeah. in the film industry, but it's. I was talking to people at work the other day, and they're like, "Oh my god, this is terrible." I'm like, "But I've known about this for ten. I haven't known specifics, but I've read biographies and autobiographies about how horrible you know he throw telephones and shout and scream at people, which is obviously a long way from some of the crimes that they're uh, they're saying he's done." But I knew about the sort of lechiness. Even if you watch old episodes of Entourage, was Harvey Weinberg. This this made up producer going crazy. It's kind of been an an open secret, you know. Yeah, for I don't think it was. It wasn't even a secret. <laughs> no, it was. It was like the worst kept secret ever. If, yeah. You know, so it's, so you know, I I the the thing I've noticed is 
and I'm not at all den- denigrating, you know, the people this has been done to. No. But it seems to be like every uh, celebrity female who is not in the uh, is not in the press right now is saying, well, yeah, yeah, he was rude to me, or he did this, and he did that, to the point where it's like. You know, oh, Harvey once said a comment that I have nice breaths, and so that that actress will then tell you know tell the world so she can be in the press, so she can add her voice to it. But yeah. you know, there's probably a million other guys who've said the same thing to her. You know, and I think they're. I see a little bit of bandwagon jumping, which is you know, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I know people just like him who aren't as famous, and nobody's talking about them. No. Uh, it's just that he's got a ton of cash. It's like, you know, people are jumping on that bandwagon. And I mean, I, I could name, I could name somebody really famous, uh, another famous producer who never got caught out publicly, yeah. who's now passed away, a friend of mine. And now I, mean, I, I can't name him, but you know, he passed away recently. He's produced some really nice movies. Yeah. Uh, and he's very famous and he passed away maybe a few years ago. And, and this, this friend of mine, actress friend of mine was, was, um, he would pay her a bit of money to hang out and party with him and a little bit of sex stuff. And, and uh, she was into cocaine, so she considered that okay to do. And yeah. she was 10 minutes of horrible stuff, and the rest of the time was really good fun. Yeah. And this guy was happily married, and you know, he passed away, and his wife, and he was considered a great man in the industry and never played up or anything. I mean, he was doing it. You know, that I hate to say it. Three quarters of the industry are, uh, are carrying on this way, yeah. and uh, I've seen it firsthand consistently. And it's even worse in the low budget realm of things because, you know, there's a, a lot of people are attracted to the industry because they want to get chicks. It's like being a musician, yeah. Except yeah. not as cool. <laughs> so they, they say, okay, I want to, I want to. You, you become a musician and you, you speak to any, like the Rolling Stones or, you know, and they say, yeah, I, I originally got into music because I wanted to, to, to be with chicks, to meet girls. And that's why people got into the music industry. And then the music took over. It's the same with the film industry. People think, oh, I'll be a producer. I'll be powerful. And, and women will throw themselves at me. Um, so I see, and sadly, I see a lot of guys trying and failing, especially at film festivals. You know, there's these guys, I'm a producer, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I'm an actress. And then they try it and the actress just says, yeah, right. Because <laughs> um, they're Googling you, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the game. And I don't, I, don't agree, I don't like it. No. I don't agree with it. But it's been that way since day one. I mean, I, a really good example, and I, I will – I will name the company because I'm not afraid. Well, they, they, they're gone now. When I started in, in the industry, I was a young boy and very attractive to gay men. Yep. So there was this um, big production house in, in Brisbane, Australia called Video Image Productions. And uh, they were known, you know, they were quite big and a little bit notorious for being the owner was apparently gay. And he was. Um, uh and of course, he, you know, I was must have been. Let me see. I don't think I was twenty-one. Uh, oh no, I was. I was twenty-one. Yeah, I just made director at a TV station, and I quit from that because what well, they weren't paying me enough. I went back to Brisbane, and he said, "Okay, here, I'll give you a job. You can be our director of photography at twenty-one, which is like amazing." But of course, he had a crush on me. He spent the next six months trying to get in my pants, 
and trying everything. I mean, it went really overboard. And this is before all the sexual harassment laws. And I, you know, tolerated it because I had a job. But, you know, I never crossed the line. And I, I mean, I had, I had no interest in, in men, obviously, but he tried and he got really slimy and, you know, it was a wake up call for me and that's what people are like. And I endured it for six months, quit. Two weeks later, I had a job as a director somewhere else. So, you know, he, and he made the threat that, you know, I, well, he, he told me, you know, if you, you know, perform certain acts with me, I will, uh, make you the next big director of the big boy about town yeah. and uh he said it very blatantly and i said no i'll do it by myself thank you and i connected with this guy on facebook recently and um he's sort of retired now and didn't you know i wanted to rub his nose in it so badly that i was successful but i thought well he could probably see that <laughs> yeah uh, exactly you know you don't need to 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 if if and and this is a this is a story I was told by another friend of mine. She's passed away. Iva Franks. Um, she'd go to all the Hollywood parties, and she's a very was a very very good looking actress. Um, and you know, stayed on the good side of everything. She wouldn't play around. Uh, and she was at a part. Well, who's the, who's the guy who directs Transformers? Um, Mike, yeah, Michael Bay. Michael Bay. Okay. And this is why I kind of like the guy. You know. Uh, it's only just what I've heard. This is all hearsay. So she would go to uh, the party and you know chat with him and just talk normal to him, and he liked that uh, because all these women were coming up and going touchy touchy, oh hey, and he would say, look, yeah, um, there's all these women try to come on to me all the time, and you know he sort of admitted that he slept with some of them. He said, but the moment he slept with it, some actress, he would never cast them in a film because he felt there was he felt they were so desperate that. If they're going to sleep with a guy, they obviously can't act. Yeah, you know. Exactly. So, you know, I, I, there's women who will do that to get their roles, and there's women who won't do that. And I, I couldn't see Meryl Streep doing that. No. Or Glenn Close. <laughs> and no. guess what? They were successful because they didn't have sex with anybody, and um, it, it goes on the merits of their acting. But you know, a lot of women did sleep with Harvey. Yeah. Let's be really yeah. honest. A lot of it, and they admitted it too. Oh, yeah, and then two years I was with him, but it was, you know, and um, you can complain about that, but but once you cross that line, you go from being a legitimate actress to, to a, you know, something else, and the, the clever way is to say no. And I mean, The thing know. with it, with the media thing is there's so many different, you know, there's the, the people that slept with Harvey that's their decision if they want to try and you know go up the ladder quicker and not practice and become really good at their their acting skills or whatever it is then that's fine then there's the the i don't know how many rape charges or seem to be coming out there's, there's three in the uk that have just sort of broken today um one of them with a woman called lisette anthony who's currently mm-hmm. in some stuff she's been in a you know, a lot of films over the years. She's come out and said yes, many years ago. He did sort of show up and and rape her. Um, and then there's the the other ones. I saw one. I can't remember who the actress was, and it was she'd got a part in a film, and Harvey said, "Come up to my hotel room just so I can give you the once over and make sure that you're suitable for my film." And she went up to the hotel room, and he opened the door, and he was wearing a robe, and. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing beyond that happened, and she left. 
And then she was in the media going, he was just abusing power. The fact that he could get me up to his hotel room and he could have done anything. I'm thinking, well, he didn't do something on that occasion. You went up to the hotel room. It's like, there's, so there's all these different stories that you've got to go, right, well, put that into this column, put that into this column. And it's, yeah. it is sort of hard work. Um, some of the media are going after Oliver Stone now. Did you see the, was it, I think yeah. it was, was it Patricia Arquette or Rosona? I think it was Patricia yeah. Arquette yeah. who said that she had the meeting with Oliver Stone. It would have been about 93 because she ended up going to the Natural Born Killers premiere. Yes. And he'd interviewed her about an erotic thriller that he was planning on putting together that never happened. They had a perfectly whatever conversation they, he she left the day after a bunch of roses showed up at her office, which she then said, it's not that strange. People do send thank you gifts. He then invited her to the premiere. He made the comment going, why did you bring your boyfriend? And then that story, which as far as I can tell, that's all the story has somehow got into the meet all Oliver Stone did this, that and the other. No, he didn't. He just asked a question. Why did you bring your boyfriend? Maybe he liked her. Who well, knows? Maybe, so it's like maybe, you just got to filter yeah. through all this stuff. Maybe she gave the impression she was interested in it. I mean, yeah. you know, I, and I'm, I'm not defending any of these people, but I, you know, I, I've had it in the casting room constantly where this actress would come up and give me that special touch on the arm, yeah. you know, and I don't like that because it's like, you know, geez, really, you're going to flirt with me like that? But they pull it all the time. So, you know, you don't. We weren't there. We don't know. And maybe she was a bit flirty, giving him the impression that she he was in with the chance. So he did the gentlemanly thing. Said, "I think she likes me. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gave me the right signs. I will send her roses." Yeah. And yeah. thinking, oh, something's going to happen. I mean, I've had you know, it's happened many times that girls suddenly say, "Oh, I have a boyfriend." After they flirted with you for ages. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you know, I, who knows the story? But you know, in the reality, if Harvey is a dirty dog, and he is, and he's yeah. pushed too far and raped a woman, yeah, he should be punished. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow had her story. I mean, you know, so he tried something on me, but I had Brad Pitt as my boyfriend at the time. Um, and, you know, Harvey making the threats that, you know, I will destroy your career. Mm, she then, after she said no to him, she was doing Shakespeare in Love. She got an Oscar for it. So it didn't work very good, no. those sort of threats. Obviously, you know, it didn't really affect her career at all. So you got to kind of say, well, Gwyneth Paltrow was good enough to get a Best, best Actress Oscar once. Um, she once had, you know, so she hit the top of her field. And she also got it in a Miramax film as well. So Shakespeare loved being that one. Despite saying no to Harvey. So, you know, she got it on the merits of her work. And that's okay, you know, but... You know, you, you you can say no to these 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 slimy guys. See, the, uh, the, the hard thing is, I mean, we're watching the, the collapse of the Weinstein Company, company, um, which was obviously it was Harvey and Bob that started it up many years ago. Apparently, Bob's not spoken to Harvey properly for five years because they had a big falling out, and so mm-hmm. the media thing's crazy. But it's if it was, say, for example, John Smith, the movie director, or John Smith, the actor then we as an audience can vote with our wallets and go, well, we don't like what John Smith, the director, did, so we're not going to watch any more of his films. Bang, yeah. and then people will stop hiring John Smith to be a director or they'll stop hiring him to be an actor, and, and it will, we, we can help filter that out. It's a little more awkward when it's a studio. Yes. Because, you know, yes, a studio will finance lots of different films, but that person who signs that check won't show up on the film set every day and be part of the creation of that film. 
So voting with our wallets on that thing is hurting more people than it would be if if he was a director or an actor or a composer or something like that. So it's because I've seen lots of people go, oh, I'm not going to watch uh, Miramax movies anymore. Well, you're punishing the Kevin Smiths. You know, you're, yeah. you're punishing the, the, the goodwill huntings of the world. Yeah. So it is kind of awkward as an audience. But a lot of people, it's been interesting hearing people at my day job talking about this whole thing because they're like, my God, I can't believe that, that it's turned out that this guy's like this. And how didn't people not know? And you're thinking, yeah, <laughs> I, I've kind of known for 15 years, not specific cases, but I've known of the type of person that Harvey Weinstein was. I don't even work in the film industry. So it's like, they kind of knew. So it, somebody put yeah. a really good tweet out saying uh, Harvey Weinstein wasn't fired by his own company because of what he did. He's been fired because we found out what he did. So it seems yeah. to be a lot of that. So it's, uh, it's, oh, yeah. it's kind of crazy media week, isn't it? It is. And, I, you know, I, I get the fact, you know, he, yeah, he, he's been, I'm glad that this has come to light, honestly, because uh, – you know, it's it's the two sides of uh, Hollywood, and that's the side I. You know, let's talk about the Ron Howards of this world. You know, yeah. he's a nice guy, and and all the all the, um, you know, there's a bunch of really good actors out there who are not sleazy, or directors, or producers who are, would never go there yeah. because they feel that the work is more important. And you know, I for me, it's like you, you kind of. You grow up in life. You, you okay? You, you you think okay when you're young, you can have girls and have parties and good times. But then you grow up, and sadly, the Harvey Weinstein's of this world have never grown up, and they they think with their pecker, which is sad. Yeah, you know. Um, but you know, I I, I think what I mean, this is. I, I think Miramax are going to go through a, a, a rebranding at some point, and uh, yeah. the problem is, um, it's going to su- they're going to suffer the most during the Oscars. Yes, they will. Don't, I mean, the, the Oscar ceremony will be a lot shorter this year because not everybody will be thanking Harvey Weinstein, which they always yeah. had to. You know, you've heard those stories where he gets super annoyed if people don't thank him. It's like get over yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Well, you look at it this way. He paid and and massaged the movie to make them have an Oscar. Yeah. So they, you know, they damn well better thank him. You know. Yeah, I mean? exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It's like I would get if somebody didn't thank me, and I thought, well, I deserve one. I'd, I'd internally get a bit annoyed, but I wouldn't publicly put the story out there. I was I was furious because <laughs> then that makes me look like an idiot. Then. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it, it's it's one of those things. Um, I, I I think the truth is in the middle somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, we weren't in prison in any of these things. I mean, look, I had a horrible situation um, where I had uh, um, a girlfriend at the time. Um, I will explain this. She was going through cancer treatment and she was, let's see now, uh, she was on like uh, chemotherapy, just gone through chemotherapy yeah. and was on the, the, the drugs and you know the the, the heavy the, the red devil chemo which fries your brain completely and you know really messes your head and thankfully i had a bit of experience with that with my father who'd gone through almost the same thing so i kind of knew your brain is fried and she completely flipped out on me um not once but many times 
to the point where I had to, you know, I would film her or I'd have cameras rolling every time she was there because I was afraid of what happened because she tried to kick down my door once. She tore my shirt. She tried to throw water on my computer and I documented everything and she was making threats to me all the time, um, you know, demanded I pay her rent, um, all sorts of stuff. And I mean, it went on and on and on and on and threatened to have me kicked out of the country and, and, you know, so I decided to document it, but most of the time she was okay. But I, I put up with it because she, she got through cancer and chemotherapy, but her brain had just it got horribly scrambled and, you know, and, and rightly so she, you know, she, um, so anyway, finally it got to the point where she wouldn't leave my apartment one day. I thought she was over it, but she just, it flared up again and I called the police on her. And by the way, I had cameras rolling the whole time and audio recordings because I learned to do this and the police turned up and then she took a fingernail, scratched her arm and said that I took it, pulled a knife on her. And because there was a physical injury there, uh, the police arrested me and, you know, threw me in jail. And I was telling the police, but I have everything recorded. It's all here. Just, you can see it yourself. And they said, well, do you want to really expect us to go sit two, two hours through all this? Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah. this is three o'clock in the morning. Um, I said, okay, here we go. So they just threw me in jail. And they said, it's, this is for a judge to decide. I said, why can't you make this decision? They couldn't because once there's an injury, somebody, this is the rule, somebody has to go to jail. So I went to jail and I got bailed out by a friend. And, uh, uh, this is horrible experience, you know, and I won't go into it, but I was in jail for, you know, because it was Friday night, you can't get out. You can't get out over the weekend easily. And there's all drunk people and drug people there. So, you know, I was locked in a room with 50, most of them are Mexican guys. And actually I like Mexican guys a lot um, because they're kind of humble. <laughs> uh, I was the only white guy. And there's a couple of black guys who were, who were kind of there for shoplifting and they were really nice. There's one other white guy and then, you know, but all the Mexican guys were there. They're all drunk or, you know, alcoholic types and, and they were all snoring. <laughs> it was horrible. God, longest weekend ever. Oh, but here's the worst thing. You know, that night we were dressed up, we were going to go out and I put on a nice, really, you know, a, a French, I look very nice, French pair of jeans and, you know, it's really, but I had pink socks on and cowboy boots. And I thought, like, and I, I, to get into the, one of the beds, you have to take your boots off because you can't sleep in your cowboy boots. And I was like, man, I got pink socks. And I felt so out of place. <laughs> but thankfully, I was taller than all the Mexican guys. So they were all like staring at me going, what's he in for? You know, we were scared. They were actually scared of me, which is kind of cool. That's kind of handy, isn't it? That's, yeah. You, you want yeah. That. <laughs> I, well, I look like this very fashionable rock star thing, you know, um, with pink socks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was just kind of weird, you know, and they're, they're all really nice guys, actually. Well, every one of them, they were, none of them should have been in jail, to be honest with you. And the black guys are really nice to me, too. So I, I actually, you know, went through that, got bailed out. And I was in shock for days. You know, I mean, I was traumatized because I just wanted the hair out of my apartment. I didn't want to go to jail. I didn't want her to go to jail. And she pulled that one on me. And she kept saying she made threats the whole night. and I didn't listen. You, if you call the police, the police come, you'll see what happens. You'll see what I'm going to do had it all recorded so anyway 20 grand 25 grand later you know um this is a night by the way i'd saved her life twice um she nearly died on me twice so you know i was the one looking after her 
uh, when she was sick with cancer and she tried this weird treatment and nearly died and I got her off and made her throw it up. And the doctor said you would have died if you carried on this way. So, you know, I'd say literally saved her life twice prior to this. And that's a nice repayment. Um, it is, isn't it? It's a good way to say thank you. Well, Appreciate it, isn't it? Well, then it went to court and it would just start. She's, and then she brought some boyfriend because she, she was, had other boyfriends, it turns out. And he tried to record me in court. He got thrown out of court. And it was so stupid, you know, the way they were carrying on. And, and you know, finally, because she was playing up in court, she was thrown out of court. Uh, or he was. And, you know, she was with him. So finally went to, you know, went to court. And the judge took one look at it and then said, oh, this is ridiculous. She looked at all my evidence and said, I'm, just, I'm referring this to the district attorney. So the DA's office looked at the evidence and went, oh, my God. We are so sorry. They started apologizing to me. They said, you should not have been arrested. Um, she should be the one in jail. They were started being afraid that I'd been falsely arrested, which I had, yeah. uh, that I was going to sue them. And I should have, honestly, because <laughs> um, I'd gone through 20 grand in legal fees and stuff. And they were like so apologetic uh, to the point where, you know, what can we do? We will prosecute her for you. Um, we, you know, because I, I had everything recorded. Um, we'll put her in jail, uh, for you, blah, 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 blah. You don't have to do anything else. There's enough, you, you've got enough evidence here, but they were so apologetic. Um, they gave me a certificate of release, which, you know, said, we believe you're a 100% innocent. Uh, then I got my green card. <laughs> nice. Yep. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, it was such a painful thing. And I thought to myself, you know, a, a normal human being would say, yep, put this mother of two boys into jail. As, as she should, because it was all documented so well. You know, I mean, I had everything, and I had to had all the previous videos where she was violent towards me because I recorded everything, presented to, the, to them, and they they were shocked. They were horrified that I hadn't had her charged before. Um, and then you know the threats of me paying her rent, uh, the threats of having me deported and stuff. I mean, they you know. So why didn't I say because she had cancer, because she was under drugs. And, you know, and that's the only reason to this day why I never prosecuted her. I have the video. I've debated whether I'll ever make it public because it's shocking. I mean, it's, it's you know, you, when you see the stuff in, in practice, it's terrifying. But it's like the girl was sadly, you know, had breast cancer, lost both her breasts um, and, uh, you know, was on drugs. And to this day does not remember most of the things that went on. And that's, that's a medical fact, unfortunately. So, yeah, you know. The truth is, she she said stuff to the police about me and my life, and the police believed her because she was the woman. Yeah. And the fact was, she was lying one hundred percent. I had the evidence, and she would be in jail now. So you know, I, I every time I hear a story, unless you were there in the middle of it, once you look at the evidence, then you make the judgment. Until that point, I, I never judge a, a woman's story or a man's story until you look at the evidence because we weren't there. We don't know. No. Uh, consensus is, yeah, Harvey Weinstein was a dirty, dirty pig. Yep. Um, couldn't control himself, couldn't control his pecker. And that's, that's his childishness. You know that I, I, I okay. He's power, more powerful than me, better producer than me, maybe. But, um, you know, I grew out of that when I was 18 years old. Some people never do. No, exactly. The the one sort of um, thing that I'd, I'd heard him say was uh, the place where he grew up 
that's just the way things were. And, you know, he grew up in a sort of poverty area of, of New York and blah, blah, blah. And, it, it, it's, you know, he said it's not any justification for me being the way I am, but that's just how I was raised. And Tom Hanks went, I was pretty much grown in the same sort of environment, and I'm not like that. So Tom yeah. Hanks just came out, took out his excuse in a in a single paragraph. So It's still a choice. You know, this point where, okay, you, you know, I grew up in Australia where I was, you know, people beat me up. Uh, or, you know, I got into fights all the time, walking home from school almost every day. Um, didn't that make me into a bully? No. no. You know, it, it's you, you do make a conscious choice. Uh, and I, I think once you become an adult, you have to be an adult and say, you know, I, I choose not to do this or I choose to do this. And Harvey's just, you know, he's just making excuses. I, I don't know his soul. I don't know the man personally. And I, I don't think it's right that we – that the media place so much judgment upon him because I guarantee if you go into any journalist's life, you'll probably find some pretty, some pretty seedy stuff about them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm sure there's dirt on every single person who's reported on him. And that's what's happening now. It's like um, George Clooney says, oh, I'm disgusted in this. And then some woman says, yeah, well, George Clooney was a bit of a sleaze when he was younger. <laughs> you know, Did so. you, there was a story I saw on the news this morning. It was on the internet news, so therefore it must be true. And it was some actress who was in ER. Yeah, she'd that. made some sort of comments about this, that, the other. And then she's like, yeah, George Clooney had me blacklisted. <laughs> and then George Clooney's come out and he's like, no offense, but at that time in my career, I was just an actor. I certainly, <laughs> I wasn't a producer. I wasn't this, that, the other. I had nothing to do with ER other than it was a job. So seriously, I didn't get you blacklisted. And then she's come out going, yeah, you did. So it's like, oh, God, yeah. what's going on? He, he doesn't have that power. See, I think he probably does now to a certain level. If he, no, you know, I don't, if he, yes. but even then, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I can't see. You know what? If George Clooney said tomorrow, Neil Johnson, I'm going to blacklist you. I got a big deal. So what? What does that mean? You're going to stop me from getting a job? You know, it's not that tight a mafia in the it's film not, industry. Is it? It's not. I mean, there's a little bit of that, but dude, let me tell you, there's a million other producers and people out there it, it comes down to your talent was Gwyneth Paltrow blacklisted from getting you know the Oscar in Shakespeare in Love nope. after saying no to Harvey Weinstein no I think you know if George Clooney decided to blacklist Neil Johnson I think you may not appear in a George Clooney film maybe that's possible <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't think he's got a further reach than that but yet somebody decided to say that George Clooney blacklisted me in 1994 or whatever it was so it's like well, what after George Clooney became more famous, um, he, you know, in his power in Hollywood, wanted to roll in South Park yeah. in the first season. So they made him the gay dog and he just had the <laughs> dog noises. Now, he, he did not have any power in 99 to do anything. You know? Nope. <laughs> <He> <laughs> Let alone years up. previous. Yeah. And he couldn't even get an animated voice in South Park because they, they laughed at him, you know. So, um yeah, I, I I question all that. You know, we can blame other people for our failings, but at the end of the day, you work hard and you keep trying, and you'll get an Oscar or you'll get a some sort of accolades, um, and you'll persist. You know, a million people have tried to take me down, and I when I say a million, I probably mean about twelve people. Um, you know, okay, here's a here's a good story. Again, around that time when I was twenty twenty one. Uh, and I was applying, I was at the television station as a director and I was the young director in, in the television station. And 
I applied for a job at this this company, this video image productions company, where the gay guy was running it, and um, one of the other, you know, so he actually knew one of the other directors at the TV station, rang him up, so hey, what's Neil Johnson like? And that director, who was maybe 45, 50, and you know, a little bit crusty, said, uh, Neil Johnson, yeah, he has a drug problem, mm. and it's like, no, I didn't. I was a Christian, <laughs> um, a little Christian boy, as well as close as you can be, and. This this gay guy told me later, you know, this guy sold you out really badly. And I said, really? I thought that was, you know, it was it was a year of, um, I guess it was 86, 80, 89, I guess it was. I learned so much about the industry, how people are and how their little jealousies and stuff, you know. And that guy tried to sabotage me too and I could have taken that to heart. So this guy destroyed my career forever. Yeah. But no, he was just a, some bitter old director guy, you know, in a in a – TV station who, who despised youth and, you know, and success. So people will try stuff all the time and they will try to sabotage you. They will. But, and the, the thing is, it's like, it's not even just the film industry. It's pretty much every industry possible. Yeah. Has got these sort of people. I have them in my day job where people are telling people about others. You're like, really? Okay. Nice try. So it's it's yeah. not just the film and music industry by any means, is it? But uh, that seems to be the the one being focused on at the minute. Yeah, I mean, it's just what it is, you know. It, it, it's it's life, and the challenge of life is stepping over bad people. You know, that's I I, I you know I, I just look upon it like when you come across a good person. Um, it's a good thing when you come across a bad person, you know, who's a bigger person in the film industry or any industry, they, they can either block your way or they become stepping stones. Yeah. So it's either, okay, I'm not going to go any further because this person stopped me from going further or I can step on them, (laughs) Mm -hmm. step over them and they're a stepping stone to something greater. You, you fail, you fail, you fail upwards, not downwards, you know? So, um, I've done that many times in my life where somebody's tried to stop me from doing something and I've said, I'll never listen to you. Uh, you know, you are wrong and they can be wrong. And it looked exactly, you know, I had, I had somebody when, when I, again, around that same age group, you know, this guy was, he, he was running the biggest production house in Australia. Um, he, I was his first employee and he fired me and said, because I was into doing artistic stuff. Uh, he said, you don't have what it takes to be in the, the television industry or the film industry. You need to find a career in something else because you don't have what it takes. And I looked at him. I said, well, John, you're wrong. And I, I walked out proudly. Six months later, I was a director at a TV station, at the youngest director in Australia at a TV station because I just chose not to listen to him. And, you know, I had to go to North Queensland to the middle of nowhere to become that director. But – I chose not to listen to him. And that's the rule in life. People say, no, you can't do that. I'm going to stop you. A lot of people would have listened to him. But you've got to choose not to listen to these people. And then you'll be surprised what comes your way. And it happened to me. And look, I'm still here. (laughs) I'm still failing upwards. (laughs) (laughs) But you're learning from it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I've I've learned so much. And he, he was wrong. I mean, at the time he said it, he was wrong. And to this day, there was not a, he just didn't get me and I didn't, you know, I didn't see why not, but that's okay. I was made for greater things and he's gone. It's funny. I've seen him since he's a nice guy, but he's still got this little mentality. Um, and 
that's it's it, it's that mentality is that, that mentality has limited him, not me. In the end, you know, he is something decent. He's definitely achieved great things, but I've probably achieved more than he ever imagined he would achieve. So you know, it, it's it's a choice in life. We all make choices. So you know, now sorry to turn it around. So what was what was the Spielberg thing? Because you, you asked me some questions about Spielberg movies. Yes, it was, um, and it was it was originally it was just going to be like that's going to be a podcast episode, and we're going to do it. And then you know the media news took over, and this mm-hmm. that and the other. Uh, and also, you told me what your results were, and I'm like, damn, I didn't want to know until the show. So never mind. Oh, I'm um, so, it's I'm quite so all right. <laughs> it's quite all right. It's just going to be a, oh, these are your choices, um, we- and it was just I think it was the name. It was Tony Scott that sprung into my mind. I was going to work one day and I thought, I wonder what my fam- my favourite Tony Scott films are. And I was starting to put them together in my head. And then I thought, I wonder what my least favourite Tony Scott films are. I thought, well, I don't really focus on the negative ones, so even the least favourite ones I still like. But I wonder what they are. In fact, I wonder what other names people would would come up with if I asked them. And oh, maybe I could do a series of podcast episodes where people come on and they go, I pick like Alfred Hitchcock and we go through our own personal choices and favorite and our two least favorite. And I, that's when I sent you the message, uh, pick a name and you went Spielberg. I'm like, damn it, too big a name, too big a name, too hard a choice. <laughs> um, and then you, you listed your films, which some of them are very similar to my own thing. And then I was going to come up with an extra rule where it's like, right, so, for example, if we do Spielberg, right, you're not allowed to have Jaws, Close Encounters, or Raiders of Lost Ark. Take out the big heavyweights that would probably be on everybody's list if you were to say favourite Spielberg films. But I never got beyond that because I got yeah. busy and then the media sort of blew up with all Harvey Weinstein stuff. So that's where a podcast episode will come up at some point. So, got it. Okay, um, you don't want to play that game today. Um, what well, we can, but I haven't got my favourite choices. <laughs> um, I could probably come up with my least favourite Spielberg films. Okay, um, well, let's we, do that. We, we can have a good old conversation about Spielberg. So I could probably come up with my favourite ones from memory. So, but I would. It, it would be so easy for me to load the favourite ones with Jaws, Close Encounters, Red as the Lost Ark, because Close Encounters is my favourite film of all time. Anyway, I'm getting super excited yeah. about this 4K release that's coming out with all the special features. I am going to uh, pick that up, I think, at some point. But there's oh. a special edition of it, but it's like $90. And you, yes. you, you, get a big bo- you get a book with it, and you're like, I want that book, but do I really want to pay $60 for that book? I don't care how good the book that is. That book has got to be available separately, I'm also, sure. Because that's yeah. too much for a special. If I got like a statue of the mountain and all these different loads of the special things then mm. I might do. But I looked at the differences. You think, well, the only difference is the book. So, you know, I can get everything else just on the, the separate Blu-ray. Yeah, it's an old marketing ploy. That's how they make money. And they make more money on that one little, you know, the 1,000 people who are going to who are gonna spend £100. Mm. Oh, sorry. That's the 10,000 people who spend £100, uh, you know, well, there's a, that's a, there's a million bucks yep. in that. So you, they're making more money on that, that, High high class item than they am the, the regular item you see. So just so you know, and it's like, I, I love that edition, but it's like, no, I'm not paying that. <laughs> it's well, too well, what are what are your? Because I mean, it's funny since you asked me those questions about Spielberg, I've really been thinking about it. What are your least favorite Spielberg movies? Let, let's avoid the you know the top three or four. But what what are your least favorite ones? Well, to me, I I prefer Spielberg before 
I prefer the 80s Spielberg. Because mm. for me, certainly growing up as a kid, it was you'd see the name Steven Spielberg and you go, I'm going to get a really fun movie. I'm going to sit there, a proper popcorn movie, and I'm going to enjoy it. And it's going to be great. It's going to be filled with action things. And, and then post sort of Schindler's List, he became more serious with things like Amistad, which I did enjoy, but I've only ever seen it once. And I have no sort of burning desire to go back and watch Amistad again. Yeah. Um, so I would probably put Amistad. I'm not a massive fan of 1941, which mm-hmm. kind of I quite like it, but it sort of it, it went off the rails a little bit. I think that film. I think that was at the point where Spielberg was like, "Yep, I can do whatever I wish. I'm going to do this film," and then something went a bit drastically wrong with it. Yeah. And it's this weird thing of comedy, serious drama, a bit of everything. Um, mm. So. I don't. I, I really want to go for Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, not because of the whole film, but just because of the alien bit at the end. Take the alien bit out at the end, fine, I'm happy with that. But definitely Amistad, I think, is one of my least favourite ones. But there's a few I've not seen. I haven't seen Tintin. Just oh. never, got, never got around to well, watching it. And it's uh, yeah. and, and, you know, the other guy, um, uh, the Lord of the Jackson. Rings. Yeah. Jack, yeah, Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting, interesting. Yeah, See, def- I, definitely Amistad. Do, do you know one that I, I, I was reticent to put on? Um, obviously, Hook, I just didn't get. Uh, yeah. You know, and that's okay because I'm, I'm the wrong target audience for Hook. I was the wrong age, you know, for that. Um, but Jurassic Park, believe it or not. Really? The second one I would possibly put on it, Lost World. I, I like the second. And I'll tell you why. You know, I like some of the, the, the best moments in film are in Jurassic Park 1 when that T-Rex is chasing everybody. And I mean, I love that. But it just, you know, when they were doing that little film about explaining, you know, um, genetics and stuff. Yeah. You know, it, it was just, it was like, I, I, and just some of the, the performances of people, the way you directed some of the people when they just got their mouths open and stuff. And, you know, uh, it bugged me for some reason. And I don't know why. Um, and you know, it kind of irked me in places cause it's very kitschy, you know, by the numbers sort of stuff. You know, it's funny cause I know he wanted to do that T-Rex thing. Um, and so it's like, I, I, I mean, that's all we want to see really. So he, he kind of had to have these great moments cloaked with, I guess, cartoony sort of, you know, campy sort of moments. I mean, I can't, I can't judge. I'm, I'm way worse directed than he is, but by a long shot, even in that film. But it just, it just, there's some moments and setups that just irked me for some reason. So it's just my personal thing. I just didn't like it. But uh, you know, I, it's just one of those things. Yet, yet the, the Lost World, I, I really enjoyed. It just because I wanted to have dinosaurs and carnage and chaos, and and it didn't seem to have that sort of wonder about it which I, I didn't want the wonder i wanted i wanted dinosaurs tearing things apart you know that's that was one of those things amistad just it's only because i it just seemed to me like okay he did well with color purple yeah it just seemed to me he was jumping on the bandwagon of okay i need to be social uh you know political and social and and make the right comments because he wanted to be taken seriously as a director and it's his first crack at trying to really be taken seriously well color purple of course but um, and it just seemed forced to me and there didn't seem to be any personal inspiration behind it, you know, uh, 
like you watch Munich, for example, and, and you can see, yeah, he, he obviously remembered that and had a real passion for what happened. Um, and Warhorse, there seemed to be a lot of... Oh, I, I forgot more. I love Warhorse. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's such a fun movie. Um, yes. And it just seems to be fun. And it just it seemed to be right in... You could just tell he's right into it. Um, AI, I, I loved. Yeah, but... I love AI. Yep. He was trying to, you know, he was obviously on, on in the shadow of Stanley Kubrick and that. But... That was uh, the thing I liked about AI was was the and everyone hates the ending, you know how it ends and then it doesn't end, <laughs> and I just love that because it was so. I remember being in the cinema for the first time watching it, and it's like okay, it's ending here, the, you know, this is where it ends. The boy's dead, he's frozen, you know, and then all of a sudden, it's like what the hell? <laughs> alien things have turned up and cutting him out of this is amazing. The CG's a bit funky, but. You know, it was okay. I mean, it was at the time it was amazing. Now it's, you know, but it, it's, I can't, again, I can't comment. But I remember at the time I was in trance. I said, this is so exciting. They're cutting him out. And what's going to happen? This is like amazing. The whole world is frozen over and they're, they're, they're trying to, this is, it's so Neil Johnson, you know, these ideas, which, which I, I was so entranced with that, that concept. Um, and I, it's a movie I, I will return to time and time again and watch AI, and I love it. You know, it, it's it's one of those things. And, and War of the Worlds, I, I, you know, I know he was so panned for War of the Worlds. Um, yet I watch that artistically. It's got so many great moments in it, so much great visuals and so many great pieces of sound design that I, I, I want to watch that movie over and over and over, and I, I don't know why. Uh, you know, no, it's, it's, it is good. Yeah, it's got, it's got some passion in it it's got some life you know um schindler's list i again you know i watched the first time i thought oh boy here we go he's using the you know he's, he's gonna the, the the girl in the red dress thing and all that you know everything black and white except it's one bit of red which i thought was a little bit you know but i i love the fact that he was showing these characters in their natural state you know like the uh the german commander hang on what was his name um Oh boy. In, in Schindler. No, no, not him. Oh, uh, in uh, um, Ralph Fiennes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gets. Um, and he just showed it with his stomach yeah. out, sitting and slouching. And I remember looking at it, I thought, you know, a normal director would say, hey, put, you know, straighten your back, pull your stomach in. Uh, and But he showed him in his, you know, his decadent glory, shall we say. And I thought, man, this is such a brave choice to do that. Um, it was a brave film in its day. And, you know, I, 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 I would like to watch it again because um, I, I went from seeing it in cinema to VHS. Right. Yeah. And it was you know, VHS. It was horrible. <laughs> it was just, because, you know, that red, the girl in the red dress looked like a red blur running across the screen. And it was just like, oh, man. You know, it looks so good in the theater, and that's why I hated VHS, you know. It does so, look better in, on the DVD. So oh, I bet, I've seen I bet it on since. 4K that thing is amazing. I'll bet, yeah. You know, but it was, again, he did a black and white. It was a ballsy thing to do, you know. It was courage. So that's why I like, you know, I like I like him when he's really doing courageous things. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm just looking at his list of movies, you know. So we go from, I thought War of the Worlds was a courageous take on, on the film. You know, I, I get it. And the, the thing, the only thing I don't like about it was he was remaking George Powell's version of War of the Worlds. Not not the H.G. Wells book, and that's okay. Um, so as a remake of George Powell, it's, it's genius. But 
you know, he did Munich and that was a great story that had to be told. And then there was a three year gap. He didn't make a movie for three years. And then he did Indiana Jones, the kingdom, of the crystals. <laughs> yep. Misstep. Yep. <laughs> Something happened. Yeah. But you know, and, and, and then three years later, he did the adventures of Tintin with Peter Jackson. What was he doing in those, in those years? You know, he did almost yeah. nothing. I think you'll probably find it, something it, major was going on with DreamWorks or something then. Exactly. Exactly. But, but then, then, then he did Warhorse. You know, he, so he, he, he got his, he's got his directing chutzpah back. And he did Warhorse and a beautiful job on that. And then Lincoln, I haven't seen. No, I haven't seen that either. I've got it. I've had it sat on the shelf for two years, but just. I, you know, I know who Abraham Lincoln is. I know he went out and hunted vampires and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't, I don't really know that much about him to warrant me to go, I need to watch this film now and see how they've done his story. I, so. I, I, let me tell you about Lincoln. I mean, you know, it's, it's got Daniel Day-Lewis in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing. You know, Sally, Sally Field. You know, yes, ending with Sally yeah. Field and she's great. Yeah, we love her, <laughs> apparently. Do you know she had to audition for that film? Yeah, good. That's crazy. Sally Field. Just, nah. you know, if she wants to be in your film, let her in it. No, I would, I would do the same. I get would it. Would you? Oh. <laughs> I get it, too. <laughs> I can tell you a story. Um, I completely get that. But, you know, that, that's good. You know, you've got to make the actors work for it. But, you know, Dan, I mean, I should watch that, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, I, and I lived in the town in Auburn, New York, for a time where they shot part of that film. Apparently, I don't know. I haven't been there. So I've really got a reason to watch it. Uh, then I watched Bridge of Spies. It was a great spy movie, but that was good. Yeah, but you know, it was nothing special. No. You know, it was just it was a by the numbers. I thought, but again, you know, I he was he did an amazing. He's still better than me. Um, BFG, I haven't seen, but I B, the, the yeah, negative test makes me want to watch it. No, it's good. It is. It's a very good film. I think a lot of the negative press is because it's kept the whole Roald Dahl language in it. Snozwangles and all this sort of yeah. there the, the, the aren't even real words so I think that kind of threw a lot of people off but we watched it after the negative press and we loved it Annette is a big fan of the book she's a massive fan of the animated one she prefers the Spielberg film to the actual animated one so it gets a thumbs up from her so it is but, good you've seen that that's a great thing you know I, you, you've sold me on the film because I want to see it you know um, but you see interesting that maybe because of the the BFG thing, okay, maybe because he got so much, you know, fan feedback about War of the Worlds and not doing it from the book, and but remaking the 1953 George Powell version, maybe he said, well, now I'm going to do something from the book and I'm going to be loyal to the book. He should have been praised for that, but he, you know, it's no. it's weird. But that's that's the problem. Whatever you do, you 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 know, when you're Spielberg, whatever you do, you're kind of screwed shall we say because it, it's you're under so much you know so much scrutiny um I t- now i'll tell you what i watched you know while we, um i watched again uh eyes wide shot uh yeah. as you know which is a directed by stanley kubrick mm-hmm. uh, starring tom cruise and nicole kidman and uh um you know i reflect on that movie constantly and i was in a mood to reflect <laughs> now you said it was all shot in England, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now because you told me that, I was looking. It's like I was looking for those locations. You said I, <laughs> it all seemed to be, you know, in, in London. So it, it, I, I get it. Um, I, it was very interesting. Every time I watch that movie, I see different stuff, and it affects me differently. And um, you know, it's 
it's uh, he was in the the twilight of his life, you know, and I could see the bold statement he was making, and you know, the scenes where he really worked it, but uh, it just I think it didn't have the attention to detail that his earlier films had um, in in a couple of places because you know, let's be honest, he was dying, you know, he was running out of energy, running out of steam, and he was on his way out. So yet it's still a great work of art compared to anything else. And it was like a year-long process shooting that, wasn't it? It's, I would, it, uh, it, it was very long process. Well, I, I, would, I would love to have been in the room um, when he was doing that whole Nicole Kidman, Tom Cruise scene, you know, where she's talking about <laughs> fantasizing about the uh, the naval officer and, you know, they're having a talk about their relationship because you wonder how much of that was their, you know, so much honesty and how, how, what do they have to go through to get to that point? You, you know, she was really crying and her, her nose was red and her eyes were all messed up. And I thought it's so interesting to see this and it's, it's, you know, I would do anything to have just sat there on set and watched the process of how many days they took to shoot us, you know, a 10 minute talkie scene. Cause it was intense. Yeah, it was. I, I saw that film when it, um, saw it in America when it first aired and I hated it. I, I'm like, that is one of the worst films of ever. And I didn't watch it for a couple of years. And then I rewatched it and I'm like, you know what? I, I like that film. Now. It was one of those that I just didn't like. And now I love it. It's just, yeah. it's a weird thing. And I think some of the other Kubrick ones are a bit like that. Barry Lyndon, it's a bit like that, where first time I watched it, this is dull and boring, and then the next time you watch it, like, this is amazing. How could they shoot a scene with just candle light in it? It's genius. It's it's uh, Kubrick is one of those, isn't he? Well, yeah, look, Barry Lyndon is, is a very good topic. They have, I, I, I again, I, I thought the film was boring as hell. Yeah. And uh, they're releasing a, they're releasing a Criterion version, I think, this week where there's all this bonus making of documentaries. And I was like, thank God, because this movie, this story needs to be told what this movie was. Yeah. Um, cause I, I love it. I mean, I've watched it recently. I can't wait to watch it again. And that's probably one of the biggest influences on the time war for me, as far as visual or, you know, some sort of stuff, um, which is kind of weird, you know, but I always go back to Barry Lyndon when I'm thinking about the time war, which is a movie I'm currently doing. But I, um, I'm very excited to see that Criterion version because, you know, I want to know the stories behind these movies. When you love them so much, you've got to know what happened. You've got to know the truth, not the, you know, the, 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 the silly stories that go on, you know, the, the, the PR spin. Oh, God. Not- the 15-minute press kit that gets shown on TV on a yeah. Saturday afternoon type thing. Yep. Yeah, and I, I don't think anyone cares about that, you know, um, truly. But it's it's okay. But, you know, I'm I'm – looking forward to the two hour making of documentary in my film, because I know there's a real story there. Uh, and if there's a story not worth telling, you don't tell it. That's why you don't have bonus features and some things, but that movie, you know, Barry Lyndon is, is amazing. And now here's a, here's a film I, I would love to know if you saw, um, was Gallipoli, Peter Weir. Oh, many times, dozens of times <laughs> over the years I've seen Gallipoli. Yeah. I watched it last night. Uh, you'd seen it before. Yeah. Well, we yeah. used we studied it in film school because this is back in the mid eighties, I guess my, um, one of our, our lecturers in film school was a gay gentleman and had a major crush on Mel Gibson. So he would make us watch every Mel Gibson movie on film wow. in the, in the film department. 
including Gallipoli, where you see, you know, Mel Gibson's penis for, for half a sec. Um, in, in, in the water scene, you know, but whatever. Um, but he would just make this, and he would just talk about Mel and Pete, you know. But he, this guy loved film, but he also loved Mel Gibson, so he always got schooled on it. And I, 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 I you know, we, would, we study the movie in depth, but to watch it fresh now, um, I was quite impressed with that movie. I thought, it holds up. It's so well-directed. Yeah, it is. Oh, goodness, this this movie could play today perfectly. There was nothing in that film that makes you think it was made in 1981. Uh, no. Well, maybe, maybe the Jean-Michel Jarre uh, soundtrack. But I know, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> but you know what? I I, I, I finished watching it. And I, was, I need that soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, it's Magnetic Fields. I think that is mainly the soundtrack to that one. Oh, Oxygen is no, that o- one. Oxygen. It's Oxygen. I thought it was uh, yeah. some of the follow-up. Yeah, but I've got all the Jarre stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of his, but uh, it, well, it was a little bit. Dated, was, so. it, it hit. It's like, oh my god, where did that music come from? But I got the point. You know, that was the only thing that dates it, and yeah. I, it's. But it's such a great movie. Yeah, it is. And I'm watching. I'm watching it. Going, my goodness, they did a good job with this. this. Peter Weir is such a good director. I mean, you know, he he chose. And, you know, I hate close-ups in films, you know, because it always looks like soap opera stuff. But he worked the close-ups beautifully. So you, you start off on a close-up of his old man's face, the young boy's face, close-up feet, building the tension before he does this little run. And then cut to a wide shot and he does a run. And it's so well shot. And um, John Seal shot it, who, by the way, is one of the few people in my life who actually gave me some cinematography advice. And I listened. Um, and he was actually the camera operator, not the director of photography on that so you know there was byron haskin i think it was the dp i don't forget anyway someone like that but it was so well shot it's it's an absolute work of art and you know i, I it, it was just every piece of that movie was so well constructed you know and it shows today you know what what do you like about the film what do you remember, remember about i just it? i remember watching i think i'd seen the first mad max so the reason that i went on to gallipoli was because oh it's the guy from mad max so i'll watch it and it's just i think i watched it at the right time it's probably one of the first war movies that i ever saw i think it's a war movie but it's also it's not just about the war it's about the people that then go into the war so there's a real human side to it mm-hmm. so you then become worried about the people who are in this war and it's I don't know. I then went on to see Anzacs because it was like, I remember Anzacs, the, the miniseries being oh, yeah. advertised. I'm like, that kind of looks like Gallipoli. So I then sprung, sprung onto that one. So it's, <laughs> I think it's just a nostalgia thing for me. It is one of yeah. my favorite Mel Gibson films. Well, it, it, it does, does stand the test of time. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the great, I mean, I was in tears at the end of it because it's, it, it's, yeah, you don't come out in a, with a happy smiley face, do you really? No, but it was so. See, this is why I resonated with that film. Uh, you know, so when I was a young boy, again in Australia, um, I got on the, the the bus to go to school, and between the ages of thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, I guess. Um, and I, you know, I there was this old man we called Jack. I don't remember his real name, but we just called him Jack because he looked like a Jack, and uh, he would just really old. And he was only eighty three, but he was aged badly, and he would just be on the bus, and he would just make silly faces all the time and make all the children laugh. And that's all he would do. It would scare most of them because he would pull his false teeth out <laughs> and then he would, you know, do silly things. And then he would start singing songs and he was singing World War One war songs, you know, all the songs you hear in Gallipoli, he would sing 
on the bus while everyone was staring at him thinking he's weird. And so sometimes I would sit and I would think, this guy's strange. So I sat down, I started talking to him and he'd been in World War One, and he'd been in Gallipoli and he'd been one of those guys who went over the top and survived. And he would talk about it. You know, he'd been over the top maybe three or four times, I guess. Now, he was a guy who was at least 83, but maybe he was 93 because he looked old. Um, and the only thing he, had, he wanted to talk about was what happened to him when he was 21. And that was it. So you imagine even right now, if all you want to talk about is what happened when you were 21, yeah. it must be so major, so scarifying on your soul to think that um, – you know, you were in this war and you lost, he lost all his best friends. Everyone he, every one of his friends was gone, was dead and died at the age of 21. He had no friends in this world, but all he wants to talk about to the young people was World War One. And then he'd sing me a song. He'd tell me that we'd have some alcohol before we go over the top to give them courage. Where are the bastards? You know? Um, and that was the whole thing. They, they, they plied all the soldiers with alcohol to make them angry and make them ready to fight. You know, the young, the young boys, they were all like 18 to 20 to 30, you know, 25 year old boys going to war, killing each other. And the Germans were the same or the Turkish people were the same. And for what reason? No, there was, you know, can we, can we figure out why there was a world war one truly? Nope. And it, I mean, world war two. Yeah, I get, okay. Not, you know, yeah. not, but you know, it's kind of, it's such a tragedy in, 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 in human history. Um, but that's why I was like watching it and I thought, my goodness, I can think about this young guy, Jack, you know, as a young man and, and how he, um, how he was, you know, forced into this war zone before he even knew who he was as a boy. Uh, it, it's, and so I, I was in tears watching the movie at the end because I thought, okay, all these young people in Gallipoli and, you know, during World War One, they're now dead. Uh, and some of them have survived until adulthood and some of them, died young and what a, what a terrible tragedy to, to bestow a generation, you know? So that's, you know, that's a movie worth making. It's a movie worth seeing, you know? And I mean, I, I, I feel blessed that I watched it last night cause it kind of, you know, it makes you realize that life is short, you know? It does. But have you watched the thin red line yet? I did. <laughs> you have. What did you think? Uh -oh. um, Pr pressure's on. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I, I'm, I'm, Okay, I'm obsessed with that director now. Now, uh, what the Terence Malick is that right? Yeah, yep, Terence Malick. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm so confused by it now. For, as I said, my connection to that was I was living, kind of, uh, was I living there? Yeah, no, I just left Australia around that time, but I was sort of living half there when they shot the movie, and uh, um, how do I explain it? Um, it, how did he do what he did, you know, firstly, and, and okay. Now, now by that, I mean, I can see why the movie did not make a profit. Okay. Let's be really clear. It bombed. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It came out around private Ryan time, which didn't help, did it? Because everybody went onto the private Ryan bus yeah. and didn't yeah. bother with a thin red line bus. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. And I can see why it didn't do well because it was more. Um, he was trying to get in the heads of the people and what was going on. And, uh, um, I kind of get that, you know, I kind of, uh, understand what was, you know, what, what was going on, you know, as a director, but I was like, how does he do that? How does he get inside people's heads 
and make this happen? You know, how, how is he capable of, of um, creating this kind of trying to get inside the heads of people? You know, and that's why I became very fascinated with him. But, I, you know, it's a sort of movie, again, you might watch three or four times and you start to see new things. You know, it's a bit like that. Um, he's not a director who makes money. No. At all. You know, he does not make money. And how on earth – okay, let, let, let's go through the list of characters, you know, actors who are in the movie. So we've got Nick Nolte in it, um, Jim Cav- Caviezel. Uh, Sean Penn, Elias Cotez, Elias Cotez, whatever it is. Yep. Um, John Cusack <laughs> yep. in a small role. Adrian Brody in a small role. John C. Riley, Woody Harrelson, Miranda Otto, Australian female actress, who's great. Jared Leto is in the movie. Yep. John Travolta. Yep. George, George Clooney is a very tiny role. <laughs> yep. Nick Style from Terminator 3. Thomas Jane, who I've met once. Um, he was very weird, but nice. <laughs> um, John Savage, who I run, used to run into all the time at the shops, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I mean, uh, now where did I read? I'm going to. There's, there's some interesting facts about this movie because I. There's a lot. There's, there's like Billy Bob Thornton in the movie. No, he wasn't. He was cut out. You're like, you've got exactly. Billy Bob Thornton in your movie, and you cut him out. I know. <laughs> Do you know there's a there's a mini series in this? You could just re-release it with all these actors, and you go, my God, I got to watch this. You know, um, so there's all these famous people who are who are not in the film. And I'm just trying to find this list. Let's see if I can find this because there is a list of of. Um, let me see here trivia, because um, I, I love I love the history of films. You know, I think the story behind the films is more interesting. Billy Bob Thornton recorded a narration; it was cut out. Uh, Bill Pullman was supposed to be in the film, but it was cut out. Gary Oldman was cut out. <laughs> Lucas Haas was cut yeah. out of the film, the young guy from Witness. Yeah. Viggo Mortensen <laughs> was cut out of the movie. Martin Sheen, Jason Patrick, and Mickey Rourke <laughs> were all cut out of the movie. I mean, could you imagine having those people in your movie and you go, yeah, we're going to have to cut their scenes? Wow. <laughs> yeah, but it's too long. I get it. Yeah. You see, he wrote, it's like, you know, but he, he didn't write a movie. He wrote a miniseries, and they should re-release it as a miniseries. I'd buy it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because these people are, I'm sure there's acting gold in there. I mean, you see John Savage for half a second being a crazy guy. Um, And I mean, you know, um, I'm sure they shot so much footage of John Savage. Five hours, apparently, is the work print of Thin Red Line. And I think the theatrical ones maybe... 220 something like that i think you know it's not much longer than that but so there's there's at least another two hours worth of footage let us see it yeah and you can imagine when they were cutting it's like they were already cutting it trim trimming it down budget was 52 million dollars and uh the theatrical gross was 36 million divide that by two so how much money actually came back to the um you know the producers yeah so uh they lost a ton of money you know so, yeah, you know, it's a sort of movie I watched and I, I really liked it, but I want to watch it again. I didn't think for one second it was an Australian production. You know, I just like the fact that they so, shot so much and you can see it. Um, but it's, it's very, very epic, but I want to see the long version. You know, I want to see, uh, I want to see it again. You know, it's like Tree of Life. 
I, which I, I have yet to see. So I was going to oh. get on to Terrence Malick's films Beyond yeah. the Thin Red Line. Is apparently every film he's done since then has been dreadful, which well, is a shame. You you could use the argument that Thin Red Line was dreadful, but it it's not dreadful. It's just beyond the single viewing, you know. And I mean, I, I can I, I've, I've okay, I've watched Tree of Life twice now, and. First time I watched it, it's like, oh, who directed this? This pre- <laughs> crap! I swear, that's what I said. I said, this is such pretentious rubbish. What am I watching? And then I watched it again. I thought, this is interesting. <laughs> well, I had the same thing with Eyes Wide Shut. It's, I remember the first time I watched Platoon. Yeah, I wasn't. I mean, I didn't hate it, but I watched it, and I'm like, yeah, it's not for me. It's not my type of it. Now that would easily be in my top ten, probably at least top fifteen films of all time. It's one of my favorite Oliver Stone films. Love it. First yeah. time I saw Robocop, I'm like, I just don't get it. I don't care why everybody likes this. Now it's like, wow, Robocop's amazing. So, yeah. you know, films, a lot of films are designed to watch more than once. And yeah. in the same way, music albums. Who the hell buys a music album, listens to it once and goes, well, I don't need to listen to that again. Oh, <laughs> you just don't do it, do you? So. There's a problem there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's again, that movie did not make any, it's lost money. Yeah. Who on earth is putting money into these things, honestly? <laughs> I think it's generally you look at you read a lot of the the books about the old film studios and certainly I know Woody Allen is a great example of that where his early films didn't really make money but they they gave him the money to make the films because it was boosting their library you know yeah. they go well you know what it's this so Terence Malick films they might not make a lot of money but it's kind of making that film library a little bit bigger yeah yeah that's true and I mean that's you know. That's 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 the way it should be, you know. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I get it, but it's like you you th- you are going to throw money away if you if you fund one of his films. Yet, it's yeah. such a cool thing to have one of his films in your library, and I don't know why, because you know his movie should only cost three three to five million dollars. That's what he should be, be spending, and that's it. He shouldn't go overboard spending money because once he gets past that. You know, then it's you're not going to make a profit, and it's he's still going to make a good movie, I think, on, on a smaller budget. Yeah. Um, I, so you know, that, the, the same thing happened to John Carpenter, didn't it? Where you give him a little bit of money, and he makes Halloween. You give him yeah. a big truckload of money, he makes Memoirs of an Invisible Man. So it's like, well, let's just take his wallet away. We want another Escape from New York or Halloween. We don't want a, a Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Well, I, I think, and in his defense, and I've, me- I've never met the guy. Um, but I would imagine what goes on there is when he has a small budget, he has full control. And, you know, that's, that's one thing. When he has a big budget, you've got all these other people with opinions getting in his way and enforcing their will upon him. And he's, you know, that, that's my guess is what goes on there is just let the man alone. Um, yeah. You know, let him do what he has to do. Uh, you know, just, just steer him in the right direction. And that's, you know, that's the best thing to do with him. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he's lost his love of film and, you know, it's, it's a paycheck. I, that I, I understand that. Um, but it, it's, it's uh, you know, maybe there was a point. It, it's an energy thing too. When you make a film, you need to be physically fit. Yeah. You need to have, uh, I mean, I'm horrible to say this. You, you do need physical fitness to make a movie and that's why you can see – um, eyes wide shut, not having the strength, you know, um, uh, Kubrick not having the strength to finish it off with it, the polish that he used to, he's used to doing. 
because he ran out of energy. It takes an awful lot of brain space and physicality to make a film. Um, yeah. Even if you've got a crew, it's going to carry everything. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the midst of shooting myself and I'm physically exhausted to the point of collapsing every day and I can't stop. I cannot stop because I'm on a run, you know, but I, I would imagine how it is for John Carpenter, who's not young, you know, to make a movie. It's like, ugh, ugh, got to think this and, you know, you lose your chutzpah. Um, and I, I think that's, that's what goes on with some of these people, you know, and then there's other people who just, you know, they're just geniuses from day one. And, and uh, you know, Kubrick was a genius from day one, believe it or not, you know? but he did have to learn. You know, he did have to figure hone his craft, and um, that's why we are now so obsessed with him because somehow he just he came out of nothing and was this genius. I think with today as well, it doesn't help with the internet either. So you know, years ago you would have had a Kubrick who makes a small film. I think it was The Killing or something like that, or yeah. some sort of you know some small film that I've probably never seen, and he learns from that and it goes on and he. he ends up with full metal jacket and eyes wide shut the shining and stuff like that nowadays the the armchair critics are just so damn vicious mm. and studios listen to them it's crazy and, and yeah. people decide to go to the cinema because of what somebody says on a website going well they said it's terrible so therefore i'm not going to watch it rather than making their own mind up so it's yeah i can't imagine what it's like having a big fat budget nowadays and yeah. uh, having the eyes of the world judging you for it so, yeah it's it's quite horrible, you know. I, I and you see the critics don't realize they are destroying the the the, the industry they love deep yeah. down. You know yeah, they yeah. they want a they want a great Marvel movie or a great Star Wars movie or, or a great anything movie, but they're destroying it with their own neg- negativity and their own. Oh, I'm a fan. You know, I've got to listen to this. And that. You know, and I mean, I I I meet met some. Doctor Who fan recently who's been a fan of Doctor Who for years and he just said oh there's a female doctor and I said dude don't go there <laughs> no other problem right now you are becoming the problem yeah. you know, have you seen her act yes is she a good actress yes have you seen her play Doctor Who no then you yeah. shouldn't say anything you you cannot be a you cannot pass judgment you know it's it's and, you know, we're turning it around back to Harvey Weinstein. You know, we're passing judgment upon him until he's had his day in court. Chances are, yeah, he is a, he's a dirty dog. It's been known. But how much of a dirty dog? Is he a rapist? We don't know because we, no. we weren't there. We don't have a right to judge. And, you know, we may never know the truth. Um, and, you know, there's a gray area about everything, but we all have gray areas in our own lives. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm so happy to isolate myself from the world and just do this is what i'm trying to do just do something i'm proud of as much as anything else i've made movies for distributors and um you know always put myself in there as much my my own stuff in there as much as i can but i'm I'm, right now i'm trying to isolate myself from everything and say okay i'm not trying to copy anybody i'm trying to be as original as possible i'm going off on some weird tangents um I have a five-hour movie like the thin. <laughs> hey, yep. You've yeah. not cut Gary Oldman out of it, though. You know, oh like, no, no. I mean, Christopher I'm the- Lee. Let's let's you know, save a few minutes by getting rid of no. You wouldn't. You'd keep him in. The words. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what I'm putting on. Hell yeah. But you know, it's it's um, you've got to go inside yourself artistically and say, okay, I've got to satisfy myself because um, I hate to say it, film is forever and. Yeah. 
look how we think about Stanley Kubrick now. We're going to be spend the next 20 years talking about Eyes Wide Shut and Barry Lyndon and The Shining and everything, you know, and, and we're going to be taking The Shining apart for the next 20 years. Did he put secret messages in there or not? You know, um, that's a great thing. So should you put it, you know, people need to put an effort into it. And Thin Red Line, and, and you can watch that today and say that's interesting because there's something in it, you know, there's, there is a hidden message in there and, the, and Gallipoli you can watch. Um, but, you know, if somebody makes a, uh, and I'm not knocking these people, makes a, a, a movie about thugs in Essex because yeah. he just wants to make a movie and try to get laid, uh, you know, he's he's failed already he's failed and he's failed himself because he's not making something that's going to you know permeate the, the, the universe and it's going to change the world it's just going to make him look impressive for about two weeks and then he'll go back to being you know a, a guy who lives in you know in, in 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 his town and and wants to be bigger than he is but he doesn't you've got to connect with your soul this is neil johnson film school here You've got to connect with what's inside you and what stories you really need to tell, not what you think will make you cool and get you laid. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. That's a Neil Johnson rant of the day. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing <laughs> wrong. It, it makes it easier for me. It's like, Neil, have a rant. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. So, um, have you got anything lined up that you want to watch? I watched a film called Black Mass the other day with Johnny Depp. Oh, I didn't, watch, I didn't a, watch it with Johnny Depp, but I sat and watched. He was in it, so you know. How was it? It's really good. He is really good in it, and I'm not on the Johnny Depp bandwagon. I, as much as I could see why it's a smart move that he became Jack Sparrow and earned all the money in the world, mm -hmm. I kind of it's like you're better than that, Johnny. But maybe he's not because he's earning a truckload of money. So who am I to criticize? But Black Mass is more like. The Donny Brasco, you ah. know, the, the the previous to Jack Sparrow, but he is very very good. And the film itself is really good as well. So oh, I would that's interesting. Now, definitely check out Black Mass. This is Johnny Depp without hair. Is that right? Yeah, and initially it looks kind of weird, but then after a while, periodically you'll watch the film and you'll forget it's Johnny Depp. So no. it's but it, initially you're like how of the that looks kind of weird and he looks kind of strange without hair and that's quite clever Mick and then you just become involved in the storyline yeah I, I like the movies cool. when you're watching them it's like who the hell is that um, and I, I've been fooled so what, what actors have fooled you in the past when you're watching it you didn't realize it was that actor like you know I, Johnny Depp has called me caught me a couple of times I watched the movie I thought who the hell is that actor and it was Johnny Depp um, well it, it just Elba fooled me because it was for many many years i didn't know he was a british guy because i'd seen him on the wire first and he's american and that so then when i saw him do i can't remember which film it was where he did his british accent first i'm like that's not a bad accent that is pretty <laughs> impressive oh gary oldman was another one yeah i always figured because the first film i remember seeing him in was state of grace which is an amazing gangster film yes. and he's american and that so when i saw him do a british accent i'm like that's not a bad job that's a pretty good accent Hang on a minute. <laughs> He's actually from here. So yeah. accents I get fooled of quite quite a bit. But Gary Oldman's quite good anyway. If you see him in the, the Churchill movies done, you're like, is that really Gary Oldman? You're telling me it is. I'm looking at him. And now can't see this Gary Oldman. So, you know, there are a few. But have you been fooled by any other than the, the Johnny Depp one you just mentioned? Well, Gary Oldman was definitely uh, one that's fooled me a lot. Um, and it's been 
not once or twice. It's been about six times. Like, that act is pretty good. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of the movie, but I, I tell you another one who's got me quite a few times. I, I swear to God is, is Jared later. Yes. Uh, he has caught me <laughs> so many times and I didn't realize I was watching him. Uh, I'm trying to think what film it was. He played Dallas the- Buyers Club by any chance. Was that when he played the woman? Yes. Yes, that was it. Yep. <laughs> like, who the hell is that? With the uber skinny Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. 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 I actually like that film a lot, but I, I, I was like, it's kind of, is that a guy? <laughs> and then I was watching Thin Red Line. I was like, oh, I think he's got pretty eyes. He looks like Jared Leto. And it was, yep. it was a young Jared Leto in it. So, you know, again, that's, um, he's a great heavy metal performer you know, in his 30 seconds to Mars thing, um, a music performer, sorry. And I like him when he performs. He seems really good. He seems legit, but you know what? I just like the fact that he just, he, he's really that good that he can pull it off, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you, you must've seen Requiem for a dream. Yeah. I don't remember him. In it. Oh, it's amazing. Main, main person in that. Oh, so, but that, that film is amazing. There you go. Really you fooled me again. I didn't for one second, think that that was him yep he's the main guy oh goodness oh man you see (laughs) you you fooled me again i yeah i I saw that i see he's in it but um isn't he in american history x as well no that's furlong uh furlong and edward norton so the two edwards i I don't think jared leto's in that one but he might be he might have fooled me he might have been playing edward norton Yes, actually, yeah, he was Edward Norton, <laughs> and Christian Bale was playing uh, Edward Furlong because they are that good. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Christian Bale's another one. You know, I, I, his little anger, anger rants. Um, I, you know, and I got to talk I, I, talking about actors. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess sorry to bring it back to myself. I was working with the legendary Tracy Birdsell. Yes, you may have heard of in the film Rogue Warrior. And I was shooting with her quite recently. Let me see now where she had to, she, she gives a Hitler type speech in the film. And, uh, she, you know, it's a tough thing for a chick to play an Adolf Hitler type character in the sense of, you know, giving that really strong, uh, uh, stage performance without it looking too over the top. Because a female voice doesn't work the same way as a male voice, you know. So a male voice, like Hitler, he had his way of speaking and everything. It was very specific. So she had to do a Hitler type speech in the in the film The Time War. And I was actually, to be honest with you, I was really worried. I thought I mean, this is going to come off really uh, like a, like a you know like a bad heavy metal singer or something, you know, female heavy metal singers. It's not going to work because it's. I was really really worried. Um. Now, you know, she started off, she was, you know, hit the notes and I was like, she's going to wreck her voice. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. And I think third take in, she suddenly was like, oh my God, she's got it. She hit the point so early on, you know, because with Tracy's sort of actress, you'll, it'll be six or seven takes. You'll hit it. She peaked at the third take. And I was like, oh, and I knew it because, um, she, she delivers this performance that is, so good. And she just went off on this mental tangents and it was, we were actually cracking, laughing our asses off during the shooting. Cause it was so good. It was funny, you know? And I, I don't know if anyone's had the reaction to this. Like, wow, that was so such good, such a good performance. You start laughing at it. 
Yep. Um, and I mean, you know, I, maybe uh, like I, you know, when I see the Emperor um, Palpatine in, in Revenge of the Sith, when he goes, "No, no, no," it's a brilliant performance, but it's funny. <laughs> and it's kind of that same sort of thing. Where Tracy's performance was so good, we just started laughing. But then it's like, as a director, it's like, okay, I can force her to keep going. And it'll mess her voice up, and she'll never hit that peak. You just know it because you know she's hit a point. Uh, and I, 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 we, we ended, we, we, we got it in through four takes, and that was such an important part of the film. But it's like sometimes actors will just hit that golden moment and will surprise you, you know. And you can watch, you'll watch her performance. If you don't know it's Tracy Birdsell, um, it'll be like wow, you know. It's amazing how these little surprises come to you. I thought it would be the worst scene of the film or maybe the scene I'd have to cut. And it's become like already it's going to be the, for me at least, it's going to be the highlight of the film because you just want to watch it because it's so ridiculously well acted and over the top and, and amazing to watch. And that's what I like when I watch, um, you know, Daniel Day Lewis in There Will Be Blood. <laughs> the milkshake speech. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm up. Every time I watch it, I'm laughing my ass off. At the film, because I, it's such a guilty pleasure. It's so much fun. It's the but, same with Gangs of New York, isn't it? With exactly. a big twirly moustache, they shout, you're well, uncomfortable, I, but you're also laughing your head off. I know, and it's weird. You know why you see these great performances? You're even watching Gary Oldman in places, you know, um, in Dracula or something. You just want to laugh at him yeah, because it's such a guilty pleasure, such a delight to watch, you know. It's like, my God, he just gets into it, you know. Um and I, well, the, I, the professional—that's another uh, classic one. He's just harping on about Beethoven in the morning. You're like, "What are you even talking about? You're off your nut." <laughs> but that's what you want, you see. And 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 look, being on set with these people, um, they just get in a, these actors, these actor people. They just get in a in a mood, in a rant, in a in a funk, and they're gone. And you just got to roll with it. Make sure everything's in focus. Make sure you got your coverage. And then just say, okay, we got it, you know, and it's, it's rare when you get it. And I, I had one of those moments recently and I was like, wow, I, 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 susp- I, know, I don't know if it'll be a great scene in the end, but I suspect it. we've got, a, you know, an amazing scene, uh, a scene that people will for years to come, hopefully will want to watch over and over because it's so funny because it's so cool because it's so amazingly acted because it's, she's so in the moment. Um, you know, so that's, um, that's that's what you look for on set. That's why you get these great performances, and that's why there will be blood. I think is, at least for me, it's a movie I will watch over and over again, over again. You know, and I watch Eyes Wide Shut because of the nuances of of that. Um, you know, and and uh, you you, you want to. Uh, this is the trick. If you want to make a good movie, and I mean, I, you know, I, I'm the last guy you should listen to. But in my opinion, you, you've made good movies, yeah, <laughs> and you are currently making a good movie. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> but, but people want to watch people. That, people that watch the films—that's generally the ones I talk to. So yeah, so good. Well, it, 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 people want to watch great people doing great things. Yeah, and even in my stinkery, stinkery movies that people don't like, they still harp on about certain actors doing who do great things. Um. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's what it comes down to. You can put all the visual effects in a movie, but if you can just put some truth, performance truth, you know, into the film, wow, you know, is, is there something great in that? You know, that, that's, that's where the, the goal is. That's where the magic is. You, people want to watch people. And, you know, we, we think of it 
our great films. Uh, let's, you know, well, why we like them in films we didn't like. You know, we talk about Close Encounters. Why do you like it? Because do you not go along with the journey with, with Roy Neary in Close Encounters? You know, are you not there with him? Uh, are we there, not there with Luke Skywalker? Are we not walking alongside Sheriff Brody and Jaws? Are we not standing on Indiana Jones's shoulders, um, seeing what he's seeing and seeing a little bit beyond? You know, are we not there with these people? Are we not living these lives alongside these people? And that's, you know, that's why Thin Red Line is so great. Um, maybe flawed because it had too many characters and, you know, you, you, I, I don't, you want to watch, you, you, this is the interesting thing about Thin Red Line, um, coming back to actors, is who do you, who do you remember the most in that? Well, I, I, for me at least, when I've watched it fresh, I think Sean Penn now, and Adrian Brody, believe it or not, you know, because of his nose. But I keep Sean Penn, it wasn't really, he wasn't the star of the film, but he so made it the movie, his movie. And I'm watching him, and he's got a trick. <laughs> he's a great actor. He does these weird quirks. But in addition to that, whenever the camera's there, he's turning his head in a certain angle. You watch it. He is pulling that every single time. Whenever he can, he pulls his head on the angle. He won't allow anything in the back of his head. He'll like turn it. He'll wow. move the camera. But that's. Yeah. But he knows what he's doing. He knows. He knows what the camera is. He knows how to work the camera. And that's a genius actor. You want to watch him because he's doing weird quirks. He's got weird stuff going on. I know the whole movie, he's the only one who pulls it. And he's doing stuff to mug the camera to make you want to watch him, to make you think, okay, he became the star of the film for me because of what he was doing. So maybe they should have focused the edit more on him, make it his movie, and that would have been more successful because then you want to watch a Sean Penn movie and watch him take control of it. He wasn't that big an actor back then. You know. So I always I always remember the Nick Nolte and John Cusack. I think are the two. Yeah. You know that whole and was it John Cusack? He ends up taking charge of the John Cusack. But that whole go Nick Nolte's like go do that thing. He's like no, we don't want to do that thing. Go do that thing. No, yeah. I'm not going to do it. You need to go do it. Why? Just cause. He's like I'm not doing it. Yeah. And I don't think it was John Cusack that was saying that against him. But there was a whole two piece argument, wasn't there? Like go up that hill. No. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, and John was shared a scene with him too. Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> yeah, but it's one of those. I haven't seen it for about ten years, but I, I love it, and it it sits on my DVD shelf, and it's like well, time to watch that one again. Yeah, and I but I think I, I think it's because we want to watch the people. Yeah, want to go on that journey, you know. Um, I I think that's the secret, you know. However, we create characters because they're all created. It's how they come to life, and you know, it's, uh, my my biggest lesson was was this in Rogue Warrior was this Hoagland character uh, who's basically a floating robot, and it, it was like everyone's favorite character in the film, apart from Tracy. Was basically yep. him and Tracy together. That was what people loved the relationship more than anything else. And I had some great actors in there, but they loved Tracy and Hoagland um, interacting the most of anything. Uh, and it's like I created Hoagland out of my soul because I, I wanted this character to live. Um, I wasn't wasn't trying to be a smartass or anything. I just wanted Hoagland. I wrote him back in 2006 in Humanity's End, another film I did, and cut him out of the film because I thought it was too many. I thought it was silly having too many, you know, having a floating robot <laughs> as a lead. <laughs> but suddenly, uh, oh, okay. And I've, I've pulled that sin again. 
by the way, just so you know. Um, I, I know we've got to wind up soon, I'm sorry. But here's a nice bit of gossip. Um, Neil Johnson talks about actors and what pisses him off. <laughs> um, so I, we had this actor. We got a few famous actors, slightly famous actors, and some really famous actors in the Time War. And we, there was this kid, uh, and I say kid because he, he wanted to be in Humanities End many years ago, and he was too young. And it, was he famous at the time? Yeah, he was more famous then than now. He was famous for being in a, a, a child in a horror film. Uh, okay. I'm not going to name it, but maybe I should. Just tell uh, me the film afterwards if you want so I can uh, do some digging and work out who it is. <laughs> oh, you'll know straight away. Uh, All right. Yeah. I'll type it for you. Hang on. Yes. <laughs> and I won't read it out, I promise. Yeah. There you go. It. It's, it's the young, the young, oh, yeah, yeah. young version. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Thing. Anyway, wow. um, yep. so he's been up my ass for years and, you know, politely and, and professionally. But uh, I end up the first time I came across him, I couldn't use him because he was too young. And I ended up hiring the guy, his family friend, as one of the, the actors in the film. And they got all pissy <laughs> because, I, you know, he was famous and he didn't get hired. And this other, this other guy got hired because he was a good actor. And he tried again. And then he tried again to be in another film. And it's just he wasn't appropriate. That's it. It's nothing to do with his, you know, anything else. And then I, I think we asked him, again, he, he submitted. He submitted to us, by the way, for Rogue Warrior. And I forget what role. Uh, it was a blister role. And he said, uh, well, he said, well, you may have to take the nose ring out. And he refused. I said, oh, okay. doesn't come out. I said, yes, it does. It's a, no, it's a nose ring, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a on. nose. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm as heavy metal as they come, and I, you know, you don't, uh, you know, I, I can out heavy metal you, kid, a million miles. <laughs> I, you know, I used to sing black metal, so don't, don't even try. You know, don't, don't try and give me attitude because I'm way more badass than you ever could be. So yeah, that thing comes out, and if you don't want to be in the movie, that's fine. So you know, time more comes up, and he, again, he's, he's, he, he submitted for two or three roles, and he was the wrong look. He was too young again. Because he's 20 and he looks like he's 15 and that's fine. Um, yep. Or something. I don't know how old he is. Uh, and, oh, that's right. In Rogue Warrior, his mother also tried to get cast in the film as well. And it's like, we've got no place for you. And she was harassing our casting person to the point where they just said, we've had enough. You know, this this woman, this the mother of this famous actor is harassing me and she wants to be in the movie. And it's like, I said, just ignore her. We, we don't have time for this silly shit, you know? Sorry, I didn't mean to swear. Um, oh, you could swear. You can say all sorts. Say whatever you want. Oh, um, so finally we come to this this film and we think, okay, and I think, oh, God, this, this, this kid is a good actor. He's got something, you know? Um, he, he was really good in the film you mentioned. Yeah. He was like, I remember watching the film going, yep, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah, you have talented. why he's not been cast in many films since. Let me tell you why. Because he, <laughs> they're, 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 you know, and his mother's a great soul, you know. She she stood by him, and she's a she's a really good, you know, parent um, as far as parents go and everything. Um, but you know, the, the way they approach producers, it's just it's wrong, you know. And it, it, I'm telling you, it's it's they're just doing it all wrong. But anyway, we we we, we thought we could look past this because I have a feeling for this guy. You know, I feel for him. You know, he's 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 had a hard life as as a young man, and I, I really like the kid. I truly like him. Just haven't had anything right. And finally, I I sat down. And I said, okay. I'm going to write a scene for him and 
uh, I'm going to make it, uh, you know, for him and make it an amazing piece so that he has something out there that shows he's a really good actor and then he can get cast into a big movie on the back of my film. You know, I really give a damn. I truly do. So I spent a few days working on this and we said, look, you're not right for, you're not right to play Herman Goering because <laughs> you don't look uh, yeah. like him or Joseph Goebbels or anything in this film. But I've, I've written this for you and I want you to do this because it's better for your talents and it's a better role by a long shot. It'll give you a better costume. You'll have something you can autograph at, you know, at conventions and you will, you know, it'll be a great thing. It'll be a one day thing. It'll be fantastic for you. And he said, yeah, great, 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 blah, blah, blah. You know, I said, finally, you know, cause I felt bad for the kid. You know, I really do. He's a good guy. He's a really good guy. Um, and he should be a true brother, you know, in every sense. So I wrote it and then we sent the contract through and the contract is very clear. And it says, uh, you, uh, you are not allowed to have any drugs on set or be taking drugs, uh, at all. You know, th- this is not permitted. It's a very, very clear, you know, clause I put in there because I've had a lot of actors on set taking drugs and they snort cocaine to get the angry scenes and they take marijuana to do the emotional scenes. I've seen it and it's like, I will never allow this. No, and I, but also it's illegal. So, you know, maybe some states marijuana is not, but it's yeah. like, def- you know. Well, who turns up to a job taking drugs? You know, seriously. Uh, nobody. But, but uh, you know, I, I, it's, it, there's so many douchebags in Hollywood. I have to put that clause in there, you know. And I also say, you know, it's restricted how much alcohol you drink on set. You can have one glass of wine with your meal if you choose. Yep. But that's it. And this is a very big clause. And then I get a message from his manager. Um, Mr. Blah, 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 would like to respectfully decline the offer. Wow. <laughs> and it's either, it was either, I forget, it's either the drug clause, which I think is most likely that. Or it's revenge because I hadn't hadn't cast him for all these years and anything else, you know, and anything said no to him. And finally, it's like, yes, please, can you be in my movie because I like you. It's crazy. I find stuff that just blows my mind. It's like, right, so I'm going to write this great scene for you, thank yeah. you, and it's going to be amazing, brilliant. And you're going to have this thing you can show to everybody else. You're going to sign these things, brilliant, thank you. Um, and you're going to have a great costume, brilliant. I'm going to spend days writing this. Yep, much appreciated. Right, here it is. Don't want to do it because I don't want to not drink for three days. Yeah. What? <laughs> What's the matter? <laughs> it's like, I remember years ago, I went to this, it wasn't an interview, but it was a, an, it was a TV extras or a, a movie extras thing. And we all sat around in a big circle and they gave this questionnaire out. And it's pretty much like, what would you be willing to do to be in an extra uh, thing? And there was loads of to like shave your hair, dye yourself green or whatever, all these things. And I'm just like, I'm just going to tick everything. So I ticked absolutely everything because it's like, well, I want to do that. I'm happily, you know, I'll put myself in the trust of a filmmaker. Never got to be an extra, but who knows why. But it's like, Aww. don't drink for days. No problem with that because I can, you get drunk afterwards if you want to do that. If you just, well, oh, yeah. If you turn so, a job drunk, you know, you get fired. You know, but then this is the person who has approached you so many times going, please put me in a film. And you go, right, you can be in this one. I've written this thing specially for you. All you got to do is not do this. Yeah, I don't want to do that. He got so okay. scared. But <laughs> it was just so funny. And we said, dear Mr. Manager, can you please explain why he said no? No answer. Oh, wow. <laughs> We're laughing. But then, we, but then the next film that you're doing, he'll be back on the thing going, can I be in it? I'm like, no. Um, <laughs> what? You've got what no, can you possibly you've... offer him? Yeah, on your next one that you haven't well, offered him on this one, you've gone above and beyond. Well, he'd yeah. done very little except he'd done a, a, a drug film. Yeah, 
you know, recently he's been in some movie with Edward Furlong, who's a known drug, you know, admitted drug user. Yeah. And um, he's he's done. Uh, that's it. He's, it's kind of a you know young person drug film. Oh, yeah, how cutting edge! You know, haven't seen that a million years before. But that's it. You know, that's all he's done. And it's like, hmm, it's called typecasting. Clever directors will cast you because you are that person. Um, and that's often the case. I hate to say it, you know. And I gave this guy a stretch, and to do something he'd never done, acting opposite a great actress. Uh, doing a great scene in a great location with some really cool costumes and a big prop, uh, you know, gun and props and stuff. And, you know, it, it's just, it's so funny when they chicken out because, you know, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable. And this is what you're dealing with. You know, I've got all these other actors. And I'm, so, but I never tell you my solution. It's the end of the story. It's like, I got so, and I thought, damn it, I've written this great scene. I'm in love with it. So I'll start, I'll look for another actor who can, take the role couldn't find anyone you know who was right for the role and had some really good actors try for it I'm, i know they're listening to the, they'll listen to this podcast because they're they're stalking me on <laughs> instagram and uh hello stalkers facebook and stuff <laughs> i mean it's always oh, suddenly they like they like everything i do Ooh. um you know i get it it's it's okay it's it's good i think that's very good of them to do it but you know, just trying to find the right guy. I know they will stop liking my stuff when they hear this, but they just weren't right for the role, but they are really good actors. Um, so I said, I've had enough. I'm going to build myself an actor. So I had such a good experience working with Hoagland in Rogue Warrior, the robot. I built myself an actor. And so now the, the character of Jean-Marie, who is the son of Hitler, um, is not a, a young boy, but he's a, he's a robot, you know, and whose brain was put into it's, you'll see it when it makes sense when you see the story. But I built, I, it's basically a, a, a brain inside a jar, shall we nice. say. And I, we did the scene with, without the, any actors. And Tracy acted so well in it. It's like one of my favorite scenes of the movie. <laughs> you know, it's a small little thing. Um, but it, I'm so glad that it went that way in the end because now I you know, have another good scene. Uh, in the film that came out of out of a bad situation, you know, it's the old theme of something bad happens to you. You find a way to twist it around, you turn it and make it into something good, and it should be a really good scene. You know, it's got some action in it. It's, it's you know, it'll it'll live it'll live forever in infamy because of this this little um, kid who you know couldn't get over his drug or ego problem um, in the film, and the scene will exist be, despite him. And the scene will be great because of him. So Exactly. And he's still out there somewhere sending off his resume going, uh, can I be in your film, please? Of course you can. No, I don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a bizarre logic, isn't it? Oh, it's – no, it's it's ego. That's all it is. It's – it's you know, he wanted to be in a position where he could say no to me because I'd said no to him. Uh, and, I mean, I'm sorry, it's just weak. You know, it's, it's, it's just the game. You know, it's the game. And, uh, the, only, the only position I want to be in is where somebody's asking me, would you like to do this? I'm like, yep. <laughs> That's the only position. Rather than me going to people going, can I do this, please? Yeah. And they go, nope. I want to be in a position where they come to me and go, uh, would you like to do this? I'm like, yeah, I will. Yeah, exactly. So Anyway, there's my rant. Tis fun. So what's your plans for the rest of the day then, Mr. Johnson? Uh, let's see. Well, there's not much of the day left. <laughs> yeah. um, let's see. Uh I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna film some flying submarine stuff, yep. uh, models, you know, b- uh, spaceship models, um, and uh, 
clean up. I've got some shooting coming up in two days, so I'm preparing for the shoot. Uh, you know, I've got a big road trip to do and to go shoot some stuff in, in, in strange lands that I've never visited. So I just have to prepare, you know, and that's it. That's all I'm going to do. Stay warm. <laughs> well, welcome to winter. Mind Game of Thrones winter is coming. Winter is here. Yeah, winter, winter's been here for a while. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I, I know I'm headed north where it's cooler. So uh, Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> Cooler, yeah, yeah. Free, for, freezing. I'm, I'm more uh, looking for submarines. To be honest with you, I'm shooting some model submarines, and they're going to scout a new, a real submarine location. So, you know, that's sounds a, like fun. It's a great life. <laughs> it is. It is. I've never you know, been poorer in my life, and I'm happy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we, so we've gone through the grimness of Harvey Weinstein, and we've now got to submarines. So that's it's one hell of a journey. It is a good journey. So that is good. Will you enjoy your evening, Neil? Thank you. And we shall catch up catch up soon, of course. Sounds lovely, sir. All right. Well, take care. We will. I'll come up one day soon and catch up for fish and chips or something. Definitely. It's a deal. Yep, definitely. <laughs> All right. All right. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We were attacked. Someone attached one of your prototype brain extractors to its arm. That grunt you call a boyfriend, he's been in captivity this whole time. I thought he was just blowing me off. Good to see you again. Yeah, whatever. Show a gun! No, very bad. There's a bomb out there. It could instantly fry an AI positronic network. It's like a big off-switch. Can't go running all over the galaxy looking for some mythical fix-all. New York, Paris, overrun. London is fighting. The AI scourge has been planning our genocide. We have maybe less than a month. A clever girl would steal one of Rostin's shuttles. Watch where you're going. Traffic pace. Oh, shit! You two fly back. I have a weapon to find. told him. I freaking told him. Told him what? Tell me! What we did to his daughter. It was obscene. You fucking shot me. You're going old school, motherfucker! Come back and fight like a man, you tin-plated metal fuckhead! In pleasure box. <laughs> nice. I'm all out of party favors. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.